Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 149 of Maximize Your Influence. I am Steve Olson. Kurt Mortensen is here with me on another hot day. Kurt, how you been? Feeling good, yeah. I agree on the hot thing is in the middle of summer. But, you know, that's a good thing. You've got mountain therapy, lake therapy, beach therapy, a lot of different things you can do. Get out and go out and play your Pokemon Go. Get you outside. Get sunburned. Have you seen this, this thing, this Pokemon Go? It's absolutely insane. <laughs> you see, all these people haven't seen sunlight in three years. <laughs> walking around with their phones you know these people are gonna get hit by cars i it's just amazing we got to do a study on this this thing went so viral so fast crashing servers people doing it people talking about it it's nuts i heard a guy stopped on the freeway <laughs> i'm not kidding you he's playing pokemon go and he's on the freeway and it's just that's the problem it's taking people who have been detached from reality and putting them in reality that's that's not good that's I smell a lawsuit there. Someone getting run over the freeway looking for the little Pokemon guy. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be good. Yeah, but at least people are getting out and getting fresh air. I mean, there's got to be some brilliance there in marketing and how they did that. And it's amazing. We'll have to do that on the show. Get somebody involved with that to talk to us as we go through that. But yeah, get some sun. Go play your Pokemon Go and you'll get a little fresh air, some sun, a little sunburn, or, or just wear a hat. Hey, you know what? Most of the time, video games are a complete waste of time, but it's getting people moving around. Moving around, not interacting as much as they should, but there's some interaction there, so it's been fun to watch. I'll take moving around. Before it there was none go. of that and no interaction. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to them, man. That was an interesting launch. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. On another note, I got to say, I am in the zone on ribs so, a couple weeks ago you were like at 50 percent. What, where are you at now oh, no, i'm talking about like cooking ribs i am in the oh. zone <laughs> you've mastered this you're done you are the expert three in a row that i've just absolutely nailed it on yeah it's been it's been pretty great i have concluded that spare ribs are superior to baby back ribs wow all right so it's spare ribs you got a secret sauce do you make it or are you buying it i'm not going to talk about that on the show i'm just going to brag oh. on the show <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, no, you can tell us. Do you buy it or make it? I make it. Okay. Well, you have to tell us the secret ingredients, but someday you'll reveal it to us. Someday. Someday when I've released it. Yeah. And it's and it's become bigger than Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then you can let the world know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But we've got a great show planned for everybody today. I think you're going to find this really useful if you are in the business-to-business -business sales, if you want to amp up your marketing and your lead generation. Right? Some of you are, this is something that you don't have to deal with yet. Others, this is a daily basis. And we're going to have Dan McDade on the show. He shows people how to generate phone qualified leads and really digs heavily into the science of lead generation, doesn't he, Kurt? He does. And this is important because there's a lot of analytics, a lot of science here that you have to understand. I know you just want it to be cut and dry, but if you can really listen to the science here and what you need to understand to generate a good lead, you're going to have some great takeaways. Exactly. So let's cut away now to our interview with Dan McDade. My pleasure to welcome to the show Dan McDade. Dan founded Point Clear in 1997 to help business-to-business -business companies with complex sales processes drive revenue through lead generation, qualification, and nurturing. For close to 20 years, 
He's been instrumental in developing strategies that assure 100% of leads delivered to client sales organizations are fully qualified to client specifications. We all like the qualified leads. Dan is author of The Truth About Leads, a book about how to focus lead generation efforts, align sales and marketing, and drive revenue. He also wrote From Chaos to Kick-Ass, an ebook detailing benefits of sales and marketing optimization, and he authors the blog Viewpoint. The Sales Management Association named Dan one of the 50 most influential people in sales lead management for five consecutive years. In addition, he was named one of the top 50 sales and marketing influencers for three years by Top Sales World. Dan, welcome to the show. Steve and Kurt, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're glad to have you. You are based out of Atlanta, correct? Yeah, actually just north of Atlanta in Johns Creek, and I'm actually taking the call today uh, from my house in South Carolina. I moved up here about three years ago, so I commute back and forth a couple times a month. Got it, got it. Probably hot and humid in South Carolina. Absolutely is. It sure is, yeah. <laughs> got to think twice before you go outside. Do I really want to go outside? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was well in the, the 90s uh, over the weekend, and it's going to be back there today. Yep, sticky 90s. Well, we've got a bunch of questions for you, for our listeners. Most of our listeners are in sales and having qualified leads dropped on them is something they're definitely interested in. However, we've got to do the duty on the sales and marketing blunder. Dan, this is the first time you've talked to us, but on our show, we always feature a persuasion blunder of some kind, and you're more geared toward marketing. What's a big blunder that maybe you or one of your clients or somebody you've talked to has committed on the marketing front recently? Well, what we see over and over again is marketing continues to focus on cost per lead and the quantity of leads as opposed to the quality of leads. So there's a disconnect. A lot of times it's called the lack of alignment between marketing and sales. The disconnect is is that you might have a marketer, and this is a recent example, a marketer um, was buying leads for $23.15 and sending them directly to sales. Sales received 9,000 of these so-called leads during the course of a year ignored them all. So the company spent a lot of money generating leads that were ignored by sales. We happened to take a sample of those leads and did a pre-qualification on them and fewer than 2% were actually qualified. So it was a waste of time all the way around. So, I, you know, the biggest uh, thing I think that companies have to watch is generating marketing leads and throwing them over the defense of sales and then they just get ignored. Right, right. They just assume, hey, here's a lead, sales, go do your thing, no problem, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, sales is, has become accustomed to expecting poor quality leads from marketing. And that's why you have marketing budgets being cut in a lot of companies and the quota for leads increasing, which is just exacerbating the problem. And unfortunately, it does not seem to be stopping in, in many companies. It seems to be getting worse. I think that's also why there's always that big rift between the marketing department and the sales department, each pointing fingers and blaming each other for lack of leads or lack of sales. So that's good information, good blunder. Uh, I want to take this next one as far as we always hear with lead and lead generation demographics, and you talk about psychographics, which I, I, I love that term. Maybe you can explain that to our listeners and how psychographics plays into the buying process in, in lead generation and in sales. Well, there's a couple of aspects to that. You know, probably the most important one is I call talk about the conditions of need that lead to a sale. And there are really three conditions of need that cause anybody to buy anything. And that's anything from an expensive piece of software to a stick of chewing gum, if you will. 
And the first condition of need, and it's the easiest to sell into, is a fear of loss in your current situation. So you need to do something because you're afraid your current situation is being compromised. The second condition of need is a perceived risk of deterioration in your current situation, meaning that you're not under a threat today, but you perceive that you could be threatened down the road and you want to begin to look at what you might be able to do to avoid that threat. And then the last one is the opportunity to improve, which I call selling into a rainbow. Coincidentally, the next call I'm on today is with a company that sells mostly opportunity to improve. So it's actually a much more difficult sale than somebody that's in a fear of loss or a perceived risk of deterioration in their current situation. So from a psychographic standpoint, I guess that's one side. The other thing is on the need side, we take a look at pain priority process when we look at qualification of leads. And the priority is where psychographics comes in because you find pain all day, every day. You know, most of the time you talk to somebody, they're going to have some element of pain that a solution could take care of. But is it a priority? What makes it a priority? How might you ask questions, what I call pain-inducing questions, to have the prospect decide that they're going to move from a perceived risk of deterioration to an to a fear of loss condition or from an opportunity to improve to a perceived risk of deterioration? So those are a couple of examples of what we look at as psychographics that impact a prospect's desire to buy. That's a great point. It's all about that pain a lot of times, finding that, identifying it, and getting that as a lead can make a huge difference in people's success and their ability to sell. Yeah. Dan, I was looking at your site. You've got a pretty pretty clear preference on there. It says that the phone still works. And it mm-hmm. feels like we're in an age where nobody wants to talk on the phone. They'd rather just stare at it and text and do whatever else they can. What makes you say the phone still works and what should we know about that? How come you're having so much success with it? I think that over the last several years, there have been a couple of trends. One, obviously, is marketing automation. And the other is the that inbound has been king for several years. What companies are finding is, is that there's a finite percentage of revenue that comes from inbound marketing. That means waiting for the phone to ring or waiting for the prospect to come to you. There are a couple of organizations, analyst organizations out there talk about that when someone says 57 to 70% of the sales process is complete before a sales rep gets involved, that it's absolutely baloney, that that's really not the case. And what we talk about is how if you wait until 57 to 70% of the sales process complete before you engage the prospect, you've got a lot better chance of being column fodder in an evaluation as opposed to any kind of real participant because there's somebody that's gone in there and actually won that business and all you're doing is providing a competitive quote. That's the first thing I think is is the marketing animation side. The other thing is, is that there have been a lot of folks out there talking about how cold calling is dead and referring to it as interruption marketing. And, you know, that may be true when you talk about calls coming in at night and during the dinner hour, you know, that are interrupting your dinner. But a lot of senior executives, especially the more senior executives, are very open to receiving a telephone call because they get a lot of the information that they need about what's going on in the marketplace from sales reps. And especially the good ones who can add value in the relationship with their prospect, those telephone calls are welcome. So what we find is, is that marketing is all about multi-touch. It isn't about just making phone calls. It isn't just about making sending emails or what's very popular now is this IP marketing where you identify somebody from a company that's a target of yours who's 
visiting the website and all of a sudden the bells and whistles go off and the alarms are set off to say, hey, a prospect's on your website. The biggest problem there is actually finding out who it is that's on your website unless they filled out a form. We just say that the telephone is an important part of the mix. It's not the only tool in your bag, but we believe in what we call multi-touch, multimedia, and multi-cycle campaigns, meaning that we use voicemail, email, some direct mail, and of course the telephone with multiple touches over a period of time and multiple cycles over a longer period of time, because eventually you want to rest a name. The timing is not good, but I'll say this, that the third cycle of contact, you have reached somebody that says, you know, I got your last email, I got your last voicemail. I was interested, but it just wasn't a good time. But now is a good time to talk. Let's go ahead and enter into a conversation. So we always talk about persistence being a very important part of the process of marketing. And you're not doing yourself any favors, particularly if it's in a situation where you're selling an enterprise piece of software or a large services deal. You're not doing yourself any favors waiting for the market to come to you because there's a really good chance that they're going to go to somebody that was a little bit more proactive on the front end of the buying process. Right. So the phone helps you uh, not make sales for the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I ask a question. As a matter of fact, I'm going to write a blog about that and this, but it's should you seed business to a competitor by simply ignoring the marketer? Should you allow your prospects to decide whether or not to talk to you? Or do you want to take the situation into your hands and proactively reach out and get an at bat? Most of the time when you hear about you know, 70% of the sales process is complete before sales reps need to get involved, they're talking about a commodity, a low price solution, you know, something that if you're selling a $100,000 piece of software, for example, you just can't afford to wait for your targets to come to you. Again, the chances are they won't. They'll have gone to a competitor that was a lot more nimble and a lot more action-oriented on the front end of the sale. Yeah, in other words, quit helping your competition. Right. Get on the phone. Pick it up. That's good information. So, I mean, lead generation is critical to any business, as we know, and there's a lot of different styles and people generating leads. So what are important questions that you need to ask before investing in lead generations? What are are people missing? What do they need to think about before they really start generating qualified leads for what they're trying to sell? Well, the, the top one, as simple as it sounds, is to make sure that there's a common definition of a lead. Uh, Brian Carroll, who was the founder of InTouch, used to talk about a universal lead definition. He was talking about this 10 years ago, but it still applies today. If marketing and sales are on the same page regarding what the definition of a lead is, then when a lead is delivered to sales, it should be evaluated on the basis of qualification criteria. Either it meets that criteria and becomes a sales accepted lead, or it does not meet the criteria and it gets pushed back to marketing. Right now, there isn't what I call a judicial branch that mediates between marketing and sales on the quality of leads. And it's not just a marketing problem because there's some companies that provide great leads to sales that are ignored. So sales has a, an ownership position in this as well. But you know, the very first thing is, is there a definition of lead and is there a mechanism in place, what I call the judicial branch, to evaluate either when a lead doesn't progress on the sales side of the equation or if a lead is pushed back to marketing, was it in fact not qualified or was it ignored for what serious decisions refers to as non-intuitive reasons, meaning that I called twice, they didn't call me back, so they must not have been a lead. I think that's probably one of the most important things. I think the second thing is targeting. We once did work with a company that the sales executives were looking for million-dollar deals and the marketing department was marketing a $10,000 point solution. 
that company went through $100 million over the course of a few years, uh, was sold in a fire sale to a company uh, simply because they couldn't get marketing and sales on the same page regarding the target market they were going after. And I think probably the, the third thing that I would consider the top three most important things is that a lot of times leads are generated, sent to sales, they go into a black hole and they're basically lost forever. What we find is, is that if there's a lead generated through some sort of outbound or even an inbound campaign, that there's standard percentages, for example, 5% of those leads are probably qualified short-term and need to have sales attention. Another 5% require a follow-up activity, generally best done by an inside sales executive because say, the field reps don't have time for it really and, even, and don't really have the interest or the skills to do it. Mostly they don't have the interest in doing it. What happens is, is that that 5% that are what we call pipelines are just ignored. And then there's another 25% that we refer to as nurtures that are a strong source of leads in the future. You might, within three to six months, convert as much as 20% of that to a lead. So what we find overall is, is that there are about three times more leads available from any marketing campaign than are identified. And in some cases, that 5% is not even identified. So all of the leads go to sales. Like five out of 100 are qualified. They never get to them, and 100% of the value of that marketing campaign was lost. Nurturing is critically important over a period of time to substantially increase the ROI from the marketing investments. So, Dan, I'm hearing a lot about quality leads. Much better use of time to focus on a low amount of quality leads than it is a bunch of you know, just throwing spaghetti at the wall, so to speak. So, in your mind, is there a minimum acceptable close rate that you should expect if your leads are what you would define as quality? Yeah, and there's always... Quality and value, I would say, you know, it can't be that we've served up this one beautiful, pristine lead, but unfortunately it costs you $10,000. You know, there's, there's obviously a value equation that has to be worked into it. And I one time, what probably our most successful white paper ever is why your sales force needs fewer leads. So we definitely believe in the quality over the quantity, but the value has to factor in. I'll answer your question a couple of different ways. Serious decisions in the demand waterfall a couple of years ago estimated that average companies close about 20% of what are referred to as sales qualified leads and best in class companies close closer to 30% of sales qualified leads. I've seen close rates as low as three, four, five, six percent um, but it's a mixed bag in terms of what was considered a lead. If it was considered a lead by marketing and that lead was laughed off by sales, then it's no wonder the close rate's so low. You know, there is, I think, a minimum acceptable close rate on leads. I think it varies by company. I think that the serious decisions example is probably a little bit rich from the standpoint of, you know, what you should expect. And I think it's also easy to do the math. You can take a look and say, if the average lead costs blank and the the, the percentage of kind of raw marketing qualified leads that become sales qualified leads is, is another known number. In many cases, it's not, but it should be. Then you can calculate what the break-even close rate is and then calibrate to that, have the sales managers calibrate to that so that they have a sense for gosh, you know, this sales rep A is qualifying fewer leads than anybody else on the team, but they're closing a higher percentage of them. That may or may not be a good thing. And then sales rep B, you know, has such a low sales qualified rate and a low close rate that they obviously they're doing something wrong. I've got one for you. And this comes up, you know, we do quite a bit of sales training, working with salespeople. They always want to know 
about follow-up, what is the magical number? I mean, there's different studies mm-hmm. and research out there, and it depends on the qualified lead. So in your mind, when someone has a qualified lead, what is that magical number of follow-up to know that you're being persistent enough, not a pain in the butt, but being persistent enough that it's going to take this many calls or contacts or conversations before you decide, up, oh, cross them off the list? Yeah. One of the ways I answer that question, and I, and I use this in training that I do from time to time, but that is, is that how many telephone calls, voicemails, texts, emails does it take for two couples to agree on a date and a time and a place for dinner down the road? <laughs> and you, you can guarantee that it's more than one. Okay. So I think the average, and I hate to use averages because... You know, every situation is a little bit different. A much more expensive item might take more follow-up. A less expensive item might take fewer follow-ups. But it's in the range of 8 to 12. And that's a combination of voicemails and emails. One of the things in the blog that we recently published, and it was about seven things that CEOs need to know to make marketing and sales work together, as we actually wrote a guide for how sales should follow on the lead. And here was just a summary of our recommendations. You know, one is is that the sales executives should closely study the lead sheet, whatever information they get, they should become more much more familiar with that company specifically, obviously their industry. And they should immediately call and email the prospect and not just saying, I'm looking forward to our call day after tomorrow or next week, but to say, I am going to be calling you next Tuesday at one o'clock. I wanted you to know in advance of that call that I have extensive experience working in your industry as a matter of fact XYZ company as a client. I think that the way that we've helped them will be very interesting to you. And I'm looking forward to our call. Something to warm the call up because most of the time, 50% of scheduled appointments even are missed by the prospect. Sales reps basically use that as an excuse not to follow up on the leads. But if you think about it, people get busy. They have shifting priorities. It's just a fact of life that many sales calls are missed. And But even getting to the sales call, it takes multiple voicemails, multiple emails. I'd say you're always trying to educate the prospect with something that is of value to them and to them specifically as opposed to them just generically. And you shouldn't give up because there's a guy by the name of Mike Weinberg who's written a couple of good books on this topic. And you know one of the things that he talks about is being relentless in your follow-up, using every tool in the book. Eventually, you will find a company that their priorities have changed or the individual was excited when they were on the phone at that point in time, but then realized that this wasn't something that was actionable. That is going to happen, but you have to get to the point where you know what's happening as opposed to just giving up without any kind of fight at all. So Dan, with the business that you're in, I'm curious, do you have any interesting statistics or thoughts that have come about as of late as to when is a good time and when is a bad time during the day or the week to call somebody or is it just totally depend on your audience? It's very audience dependent, and there are a lot of companies out there that are saying, you know, you know, um, if you call on Tuesdays between 11 and 12 or Wednesdays between 11 and 1, that you know that's when you're going to find people in their seats. You know, the reality is, and this is what we tell our folks: every touch is important. If I make a phone call and the prospect doesn't answer the phone, I zero out, find somebody that I can just confirm that this individual still with the company has the same title, isn't on maternity leave or a number of other things, then I go back into that number, call again, and I'll definitely leave a voicemail and I'll send a follow-up email immediately on that first call. So it's not as important that you reach somebody on the first, second, or third call as it is you start to have a trail of touches, multiple touches, and people respect that. They enjoy the fact that you're persistent, that you're not giving up, that you're a business person, but you're also you're respectful of their time. 
be respectful of the fact that they're busy, but at the same time, you have something important to tell them and you want to get that across to them in the voicemails and emails that you send. We might make five or six dials, uh, leave three voicemails and send three follow-up emails. We have a very high percentage of emails that are returned and voicemails that are returned. We also do something we call scheduled calls where we actually schedule a specific date and time to do follow-up with an individual. That works out very well as well. Good to know. What have we missed? What else would you want our listeners to know about lead generation and qualified lead? Anything we should have asked you that we didn't? Well, for example, you've heard and probably have said people buy things from people, but the people that you're selling to are human. So if they miss a call, the 50% that miss a call, the good news is, is that when they actually get on the telephone with you the next time, they're going to be a little bit apologetic about the fact that they missed the call. So keeping in mind that you've heard the expression that they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you, just keeping in mind that you're dealing with humans, you're not dealing with an amorphous organization, you're not dealing with people who, for the most part, especially as you get more senior in the organizations, they tend to be nice people and good people. You just want to keep that in your mind as you start to pick up the phone to make a call or start to follow up on the lead, sort of humanize the other end of the call as opposed to putting them up on a pedestal. And I think that will help even the playing field and help you have a better call or have a better meeting with your prospect. That's great. So where can our listeners go to learn more? Probably the best bet is to go to pointclear.com. You'll find our website there as well as the blog. And if anybody has any specific questions, you can always reach out directly to me at dan.mcdade at pointclear.com. Great, Dan. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Have a great day, All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, Kurt, that was Dan McDade. A lot of data. You can tell he spent a lot of time looking into this. Pretty interesting takes on how high-level executives actually want the call. They actually want to talk to salespeople. What did you think? Yeah, great information there. Hopefully you wrote some great things down. The, the things that stuck out to me, nurture your leads. You've got to nurture them. And you've got to have some type of software or system to make sure what did you talk about last time? Did you text them? Did you talk about this? Did they cancel the appointment? So nurture them. And he said eight to 12 times. You've got to talk to them. You've got to work with them. And probably the biggest eye opener, and we know this, but this is so important to understand, is that 50% of your appointments are going to fall through. Now, most people are like, oh, how dare they? My time's just as important as their time. How could they do that? But you can't. Things happen. And the great thing he mentioned is that They've got a little guilt factor there. They missed the appointment, and you can use that to your advantage. Don't get mad. Don't get angry. Say, did I, you know, did I get the time wrong, the time zone, what was happening? We had this appointment. There are three things we needed to talk about to help you increase your sales by 32% to save you $3,000 a month. Just keep that door open. I know you can be angry. I know it was mean. I know they missed their appointment. I know you had your whole day wrapped around this thing. But you just got to use it to your advantage and realize they're going to fall through and just say, okay. And you can take ownership with that sometimes, even though it's not your fault. But if you start pointing fingers and getting angry and getting mad, it's going to ruin the lead anyway. Just nurture them, realize it's going to happen, and it's a process. It's not a one and done. Sales influence is a process. Yeah, now more than ever, with low trust and people trying to avoid talking to other people, yeah, it's definitely going to be a process. If you're willing to invest in the process, it's going to work out well for you exactly right it's the process make sure it works for you and keep track of everything awesome all right kurt well that's it we're going to catch you next week everybody on another episode of maximize your influence thanks for listening take care persuade with power don't don't don't